Hello there, thank you for listening a new episode of Project 25. Today, I had the opportunity to interview Ana Maria Desmaison Cornejo. She is a mother, partner, an equity and diversity and inclusion consultant, a coach, and co-founder of Ventura Collective, a consulting firm and collective focused in justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion in Canada that has the mission of creating a better place for marginalized communities and the overall community. For Ana Maria, 25 was an age of adaptation. She was a mom, studied university, and she was still adapting to the culture of a new country. Throughout her life, she has experienced a wide variety of situations that have made her grow and realize how the power of love can be used to heal herself, her support network, and her community. Project 25 was born out of the obsession that we have of figuring things out. Honestly, being 25 is weird because we either pursue certain goals without questioning if they're what we truly want, or we're not sure what direction to follow, and that leaves us with a lot of uncertainty. I'm Andrea Juarez, I'm 25, and I decided to ask my family members, friends, and people I admire about their experiences being 25, what they did, what were their beliefs, what they learned, and what's their advice for the new generation of 20-somethings. There is a lot to live and learn, and I believe that by listening to others, we can reflect and learn a little bit more about ourselves and think about what we want for our present and for our future. Hello, Ana Maria. Thank you very much for being on the Project 25 podcast. How are you doing today? Andrea, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. No, thank you for being here. And Ana Maria, I want to start off by asking, what's your age, title, or how would you describe yourself? Wonderful. Thank you, Andrea. So I am 40 years old. It was actually my birthday since we last uh, spoke. So yeah, so yeah, happy, happy belated birthday. (laughs) Thank you. So yeah, last time we spoke in Spanish, I was 39. Now I'm 40. I'm a, a mother, a mother of three who I love infinitely and dearly and from whom I I learn so much daily. And the lessons, Andrea, can be very intense. But, you know, they are definitely my North Star. I am a partner. I'm also an entrepreneur. I am now a co-founder of Ventura Collective, an equity, diversity and inclusion consulting firm. And we're doing this alongside with my best partner, Linda Espinosa. Uh, How do I describe myself? I describe myself as creative, uh, sensitive, joyful, very curious. I have a million questions all the time. (laughs) Yeah, you make uh, a lot of connections in my head with all the info that I gather. And I love to learn. I value genuine connections with people. I really honor whenever I have a chance to connect with someone. And, you know, that actually directly aligns with what we want to create at Ventura Collective, that collective, <laughs> creating that community. And only in, in in recent years, I have also been more conscious about the connection that I am developing with myself, with my body, my intuition. And I'm I'm loving that now. I'm really putting a lot of a lot of my attention in that in relation to others but that connection has been really great so yeah that's my age (laughs) my all my titles (laughs) and how I describe myself 
Thank you, Ana Maria. Yeah, I think we have a lot in common. <laughs> and now that you were talking about how you are developing like this relationship with yourself and your intuition, was it always like that? So like, what did you do when you were 25? Oh, so, no, like, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't uh, at all like that before. Uh, this is all very new. And it could be for a bunch of reasons. It could be also, you know, I've reached a certain age in my life, a certain point in my life uh, where I crave that centering. But now more than ever within the context of a safe group. So within a, a community. So there's a lot going on there. And yeah, no, at 25, I wasn't aware. Although like by then, and this is the beauty of your project, Andrea, because it gave me the chance to actually go back in time and figure out where was I then. And, you know, I was already a mother of two. My oldest was about to turn three. My middle one was six months old. So With the support of my parents back then, I had the privilege of staying home while finishing my art degree part-time at Concordia University. And I was able to prioritize the time taking care of my children full-time. So that was definitely where I was at then, but not at all connected <laughs> to who I was, to my identity, to myself. Although motherhood really did come very natural to me, and I know it doesn't have to be for everyone. I don't believe that that's the way. But for me, it was certainly uh, fundamental to, to my own learning journey, healing journey. And I, I've been honored to, to be the, the mother of these three kids. So in that regard, I guess I was connected in a way to that body as a mom, right? As, as a nurturing human holding a little body inside of me, nurturing, nursing, bonding. That was definitely a, a somatic experience. But I guess I wasn't connecting the dots necessarily then to my identity. Thank you for sharing that. And now that you were also like saying you hadn't connected the dots, no. that leads to my next question. So what do you think when you were 25? Like, what was your vision? Like, you were really busy and you were doing like very important stuff like you were a mom and you were a student and I know in the Spanish podcast you were also like a recent immigrant so you were adapting to all these three roles so yeah where was your mind at doing all of this like what was your vision of the world or did you have a specific belief about how life should be like or did you follow a religion mm -hmm. like yeah if you can tell me a little bit about that yes Andrea thank you yeah I was only five years in Canada back then so a fully new immigrant and as we were talking about it in that Spanish podcast I was adjusting to a lot you know to to a new life in Canada to a new language to being a mother to being a partner to making con social connections to my goodness even like learning to cook like there was so much going on and back then two things can exist at the same time and many things can exist at the same time many emotions many realities so back then even though as I was saying before I was quite connected to my nurturing side towards my kids, I was also clinging, clinging right, to a worldview that, that I had internalized as I interpreted it my own childhood, 
my own teen years, you know, growing up in Peru. And I was clinging to a concept of identity that was definitely like societal and which is normal, right? Like that's how we're going to learn who we are is through others. I also, based on the examples I saw around me, based on a lot of realities around me, I I wanted to follow the plan that I had internalized that was, I know how this is going to sound, but this is really what it was. I, you know, I, I followed this plan of like getting married, have children, have a man take care of me and all that. And again, I I hear how this sounds, but that's really what I internalized. So you can imagine that the learning curve on that one was really big. And uh, the only thing I want to say from that plan in in my case, again, is, is having children. So becoming a mother, as I was saying, for me has been instrumental and it has taught me a lot. And it continues to do so. So funny enough, in that term of being cared for. Now I understand uh, caring in a much different way than I understood it then. I now I'm centered in the truth that I am in fact worthy of care, worthy of attention, that we are all worthy of this uh, within our families, within our partnerships, within our community. But now I I understand it in that way, in, in more of a communal way. So this concept of community is what I didn't have as clear when I was 25, as I have it today. Actually, Andrea, something's coming up. There is this, this actually wonderful TikTok creator. I'm a big fan of this platform now <laughs> called Ayanda Stud that explains this idea very well, how romantic love has been overemphasized in our current society because it is the safest and the least threatening to creating structural change. And as opposed to communal love, that we actually need. And I was inspired and moved from what she said, because that's what I internalized, the importance of romantic love. It's uh, interesting that you say that, because I think that we're at a point where like social media has helped out to kind of like, like they're putting all these hard truths like for us to swallow. And that's how you learn too, right? Like romantic love, especially we saw it on, especially like in the media, like movies, like, I don't know, like I think about The Notebook, I was watching an analysis and it's like, it's one of the most romantic movies or whatever. And it's so toxic. <laughs> like the guy screams at the girl horribly and he has like this, all this like horrible behavior. So I'm glad that you brought that point especially i guess that romantic love is very emphasized like around the world but in latin america with the machismo it's huge i know a lot of women in my family who were taught that their only goal in life was to get married to a rich man right and that's where women don't have economic freedom and yeah, it's a whole, it's a system. It's a system. Exactly. And, and that's what I, I, I came to realize. And definitely I, I was following an agenda that was given to me and that I took on. And like you said, Andre, I think part of our uh, own community, meaning like in Latin America, that can be pretty toxic. And what I loved about I understood what she said is that it's actually community love what is important when we start making others' needs our own needs and when we start, you know, working towards everyone's well-being and ours. So yeah, that was really an eye-opening experience. And you asked me about religion or that stuff. And I was raised Catholic. We were not a very practicing family anyway, but It was more like following a series of steps and rituals, but without a lot of thought behind it. I remember my grandmother 
being quite religious, but at the same time, she carried this ancestral wisdom from curanderas that was such a strong part of growing up and feeling healed and safe and taken care of by my grandmother. And we were all pretty much cared for by her. And I thought that was interesting because I think I gravitated more towards that type of spirituality other than the, the one that I was sort of brought in. And, and actually now after learning about the historical abuse that has been perpetrated by this institution, I, I don't associate myself anymore with it. I actually want to like officially leave. I think like that you have to pay or something in order to like, because when you get baptized, apparently the church that baptized you sent a document to the Vatican registering you and you have to pay in order to remove it or something like that but i thought about that too <laughs> i was doing the same so thing we can we can do research together andrea and kind of figure out how do we how, yeah. do, we exit, how do we exit because i i don't want to i just don't want to associate myself anymore and i i really want to learn the truth and really work towards reparations to communities that have been harmed here and in the south so i guess my vision of the world back then was quite narrow even as a mother yes i was very much in tuned with and loving really the role i had and the responsibility and i had and it just it was so intense and loving but i was also so young and i was so unaware of many things you know at that time andrea my natural curiosity and my natural love of learning was definitely focused on my children and on their well-being but i don't remember thinking much about myself or about the bigger picture i was feeling things i was seeing things i was experiencing things but i didn't have the vocabulary nor the information i have now like to connect the dots and That leads me also to the next question, because you just mentioned that your vision was a bit more narrow and now you can see the big picture. So I wanted to ask you from when you were 25 to this day, what has mm -hmm. changed? So in yourself, like you mentioned, having this narrow view to the big picture or mm -hmm. in the world, in your life, in your environment, if you can share a little bit about that. Thank you for that question. I want to be aware of the bigger picture. I don't claim that I have like the full bigger picture, but at least be aware that there's more and more to consider. But everything has changed, Andrea, absolutely everything, including the love I have for my children. It is still infinite, but now it's more conscious. They're already growing, becoming into their own who they are and now i'm more conscious and, and equipped well at least continue to learn how to be equipped to support them as part of a, a larger whole so everything has changed my goodness and just coming to terms with that concept of befriending i think would be better befriending impermanence it's a continued lesson i got divorced and i lost it all And it's only now that I'm allowing myself time to grieve for what I lost. I, I mean, in terms of dreams and hopes that were, you know, crushed by reality, in terms of the economic loss from that experience, and the effects that actually continue to have a ripple effect even after all these years. So um, I'm recovering myself again in the larger context within community. I have gone through so many different things, experiences. I've experienced quite a bit already. So I feel I've gathered data. I guess 
that's what I mean by the bigger picture. I've gathered a lot of data on how to deal with life. Now, mind you, a lot of these experiences were the result of systemic issues. So intergenerational trauma, domestic violence, discrimination, economic barriers, pay and opportunity gap. I am aware of, of all that now, so I can recognize whenever I'm internalizing that. So in any case, I have the data. <laughs> I have a little bit of a broader picture. So that's how things have changed. I'm sorry about that. But also, I thank you for your honesty and for your vulnerability. And thank you also for saying, don't internalize this stuff. Mm -hmm. So, Maria, I wanted to ask you, you were saying that you have lived all of these things, good and bad. And I wanted to ask you, what has been your biggest challenge and how did you deal or dealt with it? I know in the Spanish version, you also mentioned that the mm -hmm. divorce was something that was very challenging. And now you mentioned that you are just giving yourself the time to grieve right now. So that's why I ask, how do you deal with it or deal with it? Because we all grieve and, you know, like grief comes in waves, right? We don't necessarily, well, that's something that I've learned too. Like we don't be like, okay, yeah, like I'm over it. Because when you think you're over it, then a couple of months later, it comes back, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, what has been a big challenge and how do you deal with it? I think it was definitely, yes, the, the divorce and for the things I mentioned uh, a bit earlier, right? With combined with all the systemic issues, something that comes to mind as a way that I'm with the ripple effects of that challenge is remembering what this brilliant Indigenous woman, she's Anishinaabe from the Bear Clan, Nadia McLaren, taught us. I I'm paraphrasing, but she said doing the inner work is fundamental in order to create change and work towards uh, social justice, towards truth, but do so in relation to the land where you are now. So how I'm connecting that with personal challenges is that is that is that we're all interconnected. This is all what we experience is the result of, of a system, of society, of a group. And focusing on our inner work, focusing on our healing is vital. It's a vital work that Nadia McLaren said, always in relation to the land that you are now on. So all this while consciously practicing compassion, patience with myself. It's not easy to learn and learn and let go of old patterns. So yeah, it's like everyday work, right? Like we have to work on that every day. All the time. And it's just that I've gotten to a point in my life where I just want to make space for everything because this linear thinking of challenges and victories as something that come as a result of what we do independently is not true. And we've been taught by the system that, you know, you lose on your own, you win on your own, and it doesn't resonate as true. What's resonating as true is what I'm learning in my healing journey now, which is indigenous knowledge, community, the responsibility that we have for others' well-being. And yes, we all have the responsibility to do our inner work, but, you know, I paraphrased it already, what uh, Nadia McLaren taught us. So that's, I guess, how I'm navigating challenges now. And, and thank you for validating and that part that we shared earlier, that not internalizing the systemic issues, because I think that's another trap in which we find ourselves like desperate 
alone or feeling that we can't change things and feeling that we have to do it on our own. And, and that's not that's not true at all. Thank you, Ana Maria. And now I wanted to ask you, because you mentioned that our victories and successes, we don't achieve them independently. And that reminded me of a TED Talk. Uh, I can't remember the name, but I'll probably add it on the episode description. But it's about a woman in New York who, there was this community group. It was about people sharing what they wanted to do. Like there was this guy who said like, oh, I want, I want to have a girlfriend. And then the community were like, okay, I'm gonna see if I have any friends that are single or if my friends know anyone who is single. And then someone was like, oh, this person is interested in doing like in a serious relationship or whatever. Like, why don't you guys go on a date? And they kicked it off and it was great. Or like someone where a guy wanted to be a rancher and someone had a had a brother or a cousin who lived in Alberta and who worked in a ranch. So they were like, why don't I connect you with this person? And then the person who wanted to be a rancher, like this person traveled to Alberta for like a couple of months and experienced that the ranch life and everything. And it goes back to what you were just saying that we don't achieve victories or successes by ourselves. We need our community support is huge in order to achieve what we want. So I wanted to ask you if you could share about a time in which you succeeded and what happened and what did you do? Oh, Andrea, thank you. I, th what you just said has brought up so many thoughts. <laughs> and before I get into the, the most recent success story, I think something that you mentioned that we, we've been talking about, you know, it's that remembering like my past, my roots, my ancestors, my family story, all with awareness of the need of social justice, especially for the most marginalized communities, that is in direct connection to my own well-being and to all of our well-being. So what you were just talking about, like the importance of being held by a community and the importance of experiencing life with the support of others has definitely taught me one of the biggest lessons is the realization that I can't do it alone and I don't want to do it alone. I really don't. I want community. I want community care. I want a community support for me, for my children, for my loved ones, because we are ready to offer the same back. And this, we were talking with Linda actually about the concept of community and, and being a place where you find safety, you find truth, you find genuine support, you find respect, grace, and how sometimes other things, negative sort of things infiltrate the real concept of community and that community becomes toxic. So by, by definition, in our minds, in my mind, a community cannot be toxic. A community has to be supportive, safe, respectful, graceful. And if bigotry infiltrates and homophobia infiltrates and transphobia infiltrates and machismo infiltrates and all these things that direct result of colonialism, then that community is not a community anymore. I'm connecting it to, to yeah, all these lessons. And I think it's interesting that under stress, I can actually can say, okay, I'm going to head on on fighting mode. I'm going to do this. I'm going to solve this no one's going to bring me down you'll all see but that's exhausting and that's again what brings us back to community we we can't neither as you were mentioning explore other venues other realities on our own like how beautiful that story right of being held and being able to experience 
a dream possibility in community. So that that sort of, yeah, gets me to answer to your question. <laughs> I went all over. The most recent example of success is actually Ventura Collective. And it's just the beginning. And we've been having success in wonderful experiences, projects, mandates, conversations that we are now part of, Linda and I. So Ventura in Spanish is the state that one person achieves or that one person embodies when achieving their desires. That's why we wanted to call it Ventura Collective. And Collective obviously speaks about what we were talking about, that community, right? That collective impact. And this uh, Ventura success is uh, directly linked to our desire to accomplish our dreams of social justice, of structural changes, of joy, of well-being, of prosperity, yeah, within workplace, within the larger society, within our, our own family. And I think that it's already a success because we are now two Latinx immigrant women that have had many challenges due to structural issues. But also now, what I mean is that now the success is centering our humanity, centering our experience and creating this equity, diversity and inclusion firm in service of the greater good, in service of social justice. So that for me is, is a huge success. The other thing is that it's a huge success because for the first time, Andrea, I am working now and my professional life aligns fully with who I am, with my values, with my goals for social justice, and my whole self. I can actually say that I bring now myself in its totality to work. And that's a, a huge success. That is beautiful. I am very happy for you and also for Ventura Collective. And I just really admire everything that you and Linda do. And Ana Maria, I have another question. If you could share about a time in which you failed, so whatever that means for you, like mm -hmm. what happened and how you handled the situation, and also what did you learn? Thank you for that question, Andrea. You know, I failed many times. I keep failing. I fail all the time. I think we all do. And yes, <laughs> we all do. <laughs> I am working towards a more wholesome me and, you know, not wanting to make mistakes was a big internalized issue. And now at my age, as a mother, as a partner, as a business partner, in every role, I have failed and I will continue to do so. The other thing that comes to mind when you ask me that question is, Again, internalizing systemic issues as part of our failures, meaning, or at least for me, what I mean is seeing my failures as mine, only me, 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 me to fix me, me, me that caused it, other than saying, no, hold on a minute. Like, what is the situation? Let me see all the aspects let me view it in a more wholesome way and understanding that a lot of the failures that we experience is because there's no structure around us that hold us in place that holds us towards healing and towards correcting if for lack of a better word whatever mistakes so that's one side i think of failure discerning what's my responsibility to fix Or I don't like that word, but what's my responsibility in this? Where 
where can I hold myself with kindness and and get some more clarity in order to move to a more clear space and a clear action? And what is the result of systemic issues? And when I do look at things that I that maybe fall more into my into my inner work is boundaries. When I have not been able to share my boundaries, communicate my boundaries, that I think could be considered a failure and just um, befriending that and starting again with patients, but also starting again and ask my community and go back to the space where I feel safe, where I feel held, where I can have a validation that makes sense and that is genuine, even if it shakes me, even if it's stuff that I don't want to hear at that time, I know that it will be coming from a place of love where I can readjust, but readjust within a loving community. Because the, the more I learn, I mean, we're not, we can't do this alone. We, we can't even fix, and I'm putting quotes, you know, fix our failures on our own. That doesn't exist. Yeah, thank you. Ana Maria for saying that, like what you say about like boundaries, it takes a while for us to learn that as well. Like we aren't taught that in school, right? Because I am very similar to you. Just not having boundaries led me to a very unhappy place where I also, I mean, I had to go to therapy and like learn all of these tools. And I was very privileged to be able to have that access to to those tools. But yeah, like we aren't born knowing that set of rules. Like, hey, just so you know, for your well-being, make sure you have boundaries. Like we aren't taught that. And it goes back to not internalizing these things, right? And trying to like practice them. But yeah, I totally get what you were saying and the community support too. Even when you talk with friends about something that happened and they tell you like, oh, maybe you should have done this. And it's like, well, I don't want to be responsible for this, but (laughs) But I have to take care. I have to be accountable for myself. (laughs) Right. And it's just that it's a balance. And thank you for sharing that, Andrea, your own experience. I mean, it is so true. We, we had a conversation. There's this wonderful woman that we've met through our building collective with Linda uh, called Sarah Faruqi. And uh, she holds spaces for conversations. And one of the conversations that, that she held was, you know, the shadow side of collectivism. And I feel that our community by the Latin American community is very collective oriented. And I think that's wonderful. That's what we're talking about, how important the the community is in our healing. But as we were talking earlier, you know, what are the things that infiltrate that community and sort of poison the environment? And the shadow of collectivism is losing ourselves in it, right, as well, is losing ourselves and losing our ability to put these loving boundaries with people that we love. You know, I, I had to learn that boundaries were not to be put with people that I didn't want in my life. Actually, boundaries are to put in place with everyone and myself, my partner, my kids, and not as a rejection, but just as a space to rest a little bit or maybe to even digest what we are receiving from a loving community. I certainly need a little bit of time to digest and come up with new recipes (laughs) for me to deal with things. And 
that brings me back to actually, you know, when you asked me that challenge that I that I experienced, and generally speaking, I think the divorce was the biggest one. What brought me back from that, even at that time, even if at that time, Andrea, I didn't have that concept of community that I'm now having more and more clear, even at that time, what saved me were loving friends, uh, family support, social programs that I had available in this province, like structural programs that were available. The fact that there is universal healthcare, the fact that I was able to, again, rely on a community. So just makes sense. But yeah, just going back to boundaries. Yeah, it's a learning and unlearning and a balance and a dance. Yeah, again, like have to work on them every day. <laughs> every day. And, and just, we have to give ourselves grace and we have to give ourselves patience because it's not easy, like we were saying before, to relearn things, to let go of certain patterns. We have to be kind with ourselves because that's another lesson that, that I've definitely been learning and been practicing that kindness to me and, and to my body. Like I've been coming to an understanding of, because again, from reading, from searching for answers, I've learned that well, there's enough research that points out that our body is actually the one keeping our life experiences, positive or negative. And in terms of, of trauma, how that is not in our heads necessarily. It's not something that we can just talk out or talk through. It's actually, it's embodied, it's in our bodies and how to gently connect again with what my body's telling me, how am I feeling when I'm in a safe situation? How am I feeling when I'm unsafe? What to do then? And little things towards my well-being. I mentioned this in the LinkedIn life, like drinking water when I'm thirsty. <laughs> That's very small. Uh, resting enough to have a functioning day and just deserve just to rest because our bodies deserve to. And also well-being in terms of like looking for a community that's in fact safe in order for ask to, for, uh, to ask for help when we need to. That's all part of, at least for me, an understanding of my body and how in relation to that, how am I walking towards learning from challenges and embracing these community successes? That's awesome. And Ana Maria, what I wanted to ask as well, because you were just talking about how you're trying to connect with your body better and that sort of thing. So I wanted to ask you now, what has motivated you or what motivates you? What's been motivating me is to, to bridge uh, personal experiences with, with our community, with community, with others. That's been motivating. And what's been motivating also is a embarking on a kind healing journey, doing that inner work, in relation to the land that I'm on, again, inspired by Nadia McLaren's words, to see and to understand me, us, in relation to the greater well-being. So that's been motivating. And also connecting that to the well-being of my children, uh, my loved ones. That's been incredibly motivating I think it's like the quest 
towards something that makes more sense, something that resonates as true, as opposed to what I have been given by society, by internalized dogmas. I think that uncovering uncovering the truth is something that motivates me. The other thing that motivates me is the new generation. As I was uh, sharing with you during our Spanish podcast, it's it's definitely motivating for me to see 17-year-olds, 15-year-olds, even 10, 11-year-olds like mine talking about community, talking about holding each other, talking about sharing resources. There's a lot going on there. I, I just want to be the support because I, I feel I can't, we, we can't just pass it on to the new generation and fix our mess. I, I really truly am motivated by by the young the young generation and by my children and what's also motivating is connecting this inner work as a way for them to see that actually how can i say this something that i'm value i value is centering myself doing my inner work in relation to the land i'm on and being an example for them to do the same as they go on on their journey. Thank you, Ana Maria. And I also meant to ask, what are your goals or plans for the future? Oh, thanks, Andrea. I personally, like my personal goals, or like I should say my my uh, smaller community goals, me and my kids, I would really love to travel with the family. And I have this vision of us going around and seeing new sites and just spending time uh, that I would really love. And in the larger community sense, I really want to develop into the collective alongside Linda into even more projects that have direct impact towards equity, towards uh, social structures, towards truth. So yeah, those are my plans for the future. That sounds awesome. And Ana Maria, if you could go back to when you were 25, would you change anything or make things different? Yeah, I think that the work that I'm doing now in remembering my roots, remembering my ancestors in this uh, identification process, like um, Dr. Diana Alvaran Gonzalez points out, If I could, that's what I would invite my 25-year-old self to do. And I think just that would a planted seed that I would have uh, really appreciated having planted then. <laughs> you know? Thanks for your honesty. And now this is a little bit related. Mm -hmm. But what advice do you have for today's 20-somethings? Or what do you wish you knew when you were 25? The idea of advice is always centered, I believe, in, in our own experience, right? So what I am advising my, my kids or what I would advise 25-year-olds is something that I need to practice as well. And as I was mentioning, plant the seed to know who you are in terms of your story, in terms of your ancestors, good or bad, the past holds truth and we need to connect to that. The other thing that I would tell 25-year-olds and I tell myself is make some time to have some quiet time with yourself. Call it meditation, call it 
rituals. And I'm in this process of, again, remembering, relearning the indigenous spiritual knowledge that I was not able to learn because of societal structures and all that family dynamics and all that. But there is knowledge already and there is modern, if we want to call it that way, research that really speaks of the benefit of finding solitude within ourselves in relation to others. But the practice of quieting down, breathing, and connecting with your body, I think that's important. And at 25, I was just running around, feeling young, and <laughs> feeling like I had time. And I was talking to my my oldest, and you know, he's almost 18. So I'm like, you know, be mindful that what you put into your body is important. So drink water, eat well, rest, you know, because I think at the time when when we are that age, uh, our body compensates a lot and we're going to be functioning no matter what. But I think that one of my, this long <laughs> explanation to one of my advice to 25-year-olds would be to take some time to spend quiet minutes with yourself and really honor what you put in your body. Then practice a lot of patience and gentleness and continue to look for that community, that connection of loving individuals where you feel you've been uplifted, supported, uh, called in, having a little bit of a hard conversation, but in a loving, supportive way. And yeah, I, I say all this to me. <laughs> well you know so it's all a full circle yeah it's a never-ending journey (laughs) until it ends (laughs) (laughs) and thank you so much Ana Maria for sharing all the advice for others and the one that you give yourself and for your openness about that and this is the last question so is there anything you'd like to share that you think it's important and I didn't ask Oh, we spoke about so many things, Andrea. And I think what comes to mind is just the importance of acknowledging that we have a responsibility with others. And that's vital to our well-being, absolutely vital to our individual well-being. And that others have a responsibility with us. I think one thing that I feel is important to mention Expanding on that notion of the bigger picture, on gaining perspective, on, you know, leaning towards one identity, remembering one's roots, all that growing up, right? All that is gaining a better understanding of of one's truth. And I know that when I was 25, I was not equipped or able to do so. And, And I want to bring Nadia McLaren's teachings back. So my inner work, I should say, in relation to the land I now occupy, is also coming to terms with my own past and history and how that shapes my present. So, for example, coming to terms with the privilege that I experienced as a light-skinned mestiza back home, the rampant anti-Indigenous and anti-Blackness culture in which I grew up in the continuation of that culture 
right now in the South and here that benefit from so much discrimination and suffering. So I'm learning so much from scholars like Dr. Alexandra Arraiz, Dr. Madeleine Cahuas. I mentioned her already, but Dr. Diana Alvaran Gonzalez. I mean, they're exploring and writing about the immigrant Latinx identity in relation to the colonial history in the South-South, overlapped with the colonial history of these lands, and how I, as an immigrant mestiza, Latina woman, by unpacking my own privilege, I can center in the truth, and I can take action to work towards uh, equity uh, for marginalized communities in both lands. It it all goes back to the concept, right, of interconnectedness, of community, and of our responsibility to repair the harms and work towards the, the larger goal, which is equity and social change and structural and structural change. So so that pretty much sums up my growing up journey, you know, that that is never ending, certainly. And how my my understanding of of myself and I'm and my surroundings have has changed and evolved since my twenties. So yeah, thank you for for asking me if I had something else to add. I I think this is really what I wanted to to bring. Thank you very much for being here, and I really appreciate your time, Ana Maria and all of the amazing insight that you provided us with. So thank you. <laughs> thank you, Andrea. Thank you for having me. It's It's been great. So thank you so much for having me. It's been a super honor. The honor is mine. Thank you, Ana Maria. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the episode or you think it will be helpful for someone, feel free to share. You can also find the written stories at medium.com slash project 25. If you know someone who would like to share their experience being 25, you can send me a message at the email that's on the episode description or through our social media channels, which are also listed on the episode description. Thank you for your time. I hope you have a wonderful day. I'll see you later. Bye-bye.